0: Welcome to episode 346 with my guest, Carol E. Miller. Uh, this episode was recorded live at uh, the New Parkway Theater in uh, Oakland. Many thanks to the East Bay Express for uh, underwriting the show and all the people who uh, who came out to see it. Uh, my name is Paul Gilmartin. Just thought I'd introduce myself right there. Uh, this is the Metal Illness Happy Hour. A place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Now, this show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is uh, mentalpod.com. Go there, check it out, fill out a survey. Maybe we will read your survey on the air. Um for those of you that are new to the podcast uh the the show is about um half interview and then uh half surveys from uh listeners that they filled out anonymously on a variety of uh, of topics. Um what did I want to mention? Oh, LA Podfest is coming up October uh 6th through the 8th and uh if you want more information uh go to lapodfest.com i believe uh weekend passes are still available and uh i will be recording andy kindler as my guest um i don't know if the schedule is uh subject to change but uh from what i recall we're recording that friday night um but an incredible lineup of uh of people at uh, la podfest so come on out and say hi uh if I don't know if if uh, something sounds uh, audibly different, but I am in a different apartment. As I mentioned, I got booted out of my last one because I, I was uh, I was the troublemaker that wanted things fixed, and wanted an odd odor investigated. I I guess I guess I'm troublesome. So here I am in a new apartment. And uh, for the most part, it, I, I like it. It's a little uh, more nightclub than I kind of thought it, it would be. Uh, but it's got some nice amenities. Uh, the parking space is... I, I don't know what it's like for a baby to come out of a vagina. But it has to be roomier than getting out of my car. <laughs> it is... Of course, why not put why not in the in the compact space next to me the assigned parking? Why wouldn't you put an oversized SUV in that? It just makes sense. But my favorite part of moving in and I'm I, none of this means that I am not incredibly grateful to be able to afford rent. Um, but I'm riding up the elevator with my last box of moving in. And I strike up a conversation with this woman. And I said, so do you like living here? And she goes, yeah, you know, it's got its good points and its bad points. Um You heard about the incident. I go, what? She goes, you know, the incident. I go, no. She goes, they didn't tell you? I said, no. She goes, oh, yeah, a guy was murdered out front last week. Oh, my Lord. I got to say, though, there are not as many murders as I expected this last week. I thought it was going to be flurry. It's like maybe six, seven murders a day. And most of the time, the coroners, they're right there. They scoop the body up. The building has actually installed a corpse scooper. It's just like... (laughs) Like one of those things that you use as a kid in a machine with the with the claw when you're trying to get the prize. Uh they just lower it from the, the uh the floor that has the the pool. Uh they just have the corpse scooper. <laughs> Some poor fucking person lost their life and here I am riffing about it for your entertainment. If you laughed at these last few jokes, you're a terrible person. Uh this is uh, just uh I just want to read an excerpt from this survey. this is from the Shame and Secret survey and it was filled out by a woman who called herself uh, born earth and she writes um uh about her boyfriend who can be emotionally abusive um he can be also be very sweet and thoughtful offering to pay for my home upgrades and getting up to give me water in the middle of the night but he sees conflict as a war in which he has to verbally beat me down um this just reminded me that it's loving somebody and being safe for a partner is something consistency is something to consider in a partner. Um, because I don't believe, I don't look at it like one thing erases another thing. I just look at like what Yes, people are able to make mistakes, but is there a pattern of abuse that has been brought to that person's attention that they are or are not concerned about and actively working to remedy through getting help or becoming more um, vigilant about catching themselves? Uh, And that is the thing I think to, to focus on. That's and I should know because I cooked chicken on basic cable for sixteen years. And sometimes I would wear a sweater. And uh you know, that's that's some gravitas right there. Um this is an awful moment uh filled out by a woman who calls herself Cubans Are Crazy and she writes uh and for those of you that are new to the podcast, we're we're on the um new and noteworthy section of iTunes this week. And uh so in case we are getting some new listeners, uh, I wanted to explain what some of the terms are we use occasionally on the podcast. Uh we have a thing we call an awful uh moment, and it's a moment that was awful when it happened, but when you look back on it, there was some either either some type of silver lining or something sickly funny. Uh, about it Um, and uh, she writes, I offered a male co-worker a ride home from work one night when he didn't have a ride. He usually just walked or called a taxi. Before I was even able to turn on the car, he ended up raping me. Two days after the incident, I heard my future mother-in-law tell my boyfriend that it sounded like I cheated on him and that I was trying to cover it up some things you you don't even have words for i don't even have words for that what i do have words for is warby parker they have a glasses starting at just 95 bucks including prescription lenses the lenses include anti-glare and anti-scratch coatings for every pair you buy a pair is distributed to someone in need warby parker makes buying glasses online easy and risk-free. I can vouch for that. I did it. They have a huge selection of uh, frames. Uh, I picked uh, some that I liked. Uh, they shipped them to me. I uh, picked out the, the the pair that I definitely wanted. Uh, I sent them all back, gave them my prescription, and then they sent me the pair that I wanted to keep. And that's basically how it works. There's no obligation to purchase. Uh, they give you a uh, free prepaid return shipping labels you don't have to you don't have to worry about finding a box or using stamps or any of that. It's uh it's so easy a dog or a cat could do it. Not together because they'd be fighting. But it's simple, straightforward. I got the frames I wanted and they came when they said they would. It's super simple. So head to warpyparker.com slash mental To order your free home try-ons today, choose the five frames you'd like to try, mail them all back, choose your favorite pair, and then have your prescription added. Warby Parker makes your experience completely risk-free and free shipping all around. Visit warbyparker.com slash mental to begin your free home try-on experience today. And after you head to warbyparker.com slash mental and place your home try-on order, make sure to download the Warby Parker app from the iTunes app store. They built this awesome home try on companion feature, which allows you to quickly take photos wearing all the frames, stitch it into a video and share it with friends and family to help you pick a winner. Once again, that's warbyparker.com slash mental. This is an email that I got from Taylor. He's a listener and, um, it really touched me, and I also wanted to read it because, as I've mentioned, uh, one of our sponsors is BetterHelp.com, which is uh, uh, an online therapy provider that I love. Uh, I've, I've been using them for over a year, and I've had a great experience, and I had a lot of breakthroughs with my therapist, Donna. So uh, Taylor wrote, uh, and I asked Taylor if I could have his, his permission to read this on the air, and he had written to me while I was learning about uh, learning that chasing the love and approval of my father was a lost cause, you were there with a guest who grew up similarly. When I was figuring out how to be vulnerable in my first ever relationship, you were there with a listener survey that got me choked up. When I couldn't seem to open up to a therapist about my porn addiction because I was so ashamed, here you fucking come with betterhelp.com. I found a great therapist who previously struggled with a porn addiction. What are the odds? Uh, you, you're you always around, uh, Paul Gilmartin, and I love you for it. I'm sure you get a ton of these, you-changed-my-life emails, but I had to send it anyway. If you're ever in Ohio, it would be a pleasure to meet you and be a guest. Thanks again for all you do, Taylor. P.S. Who the fuck wants an unfrosted Pop-Tart? You and your Bland Pop-Tarts can go fuck yourselves. Taylor, you had me at Bland. Um... So yeah, if you want to know more about uh, betterhelp.com, uh, go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Uh, fill out a questionnaire. You'll get matched with a betterhelp.com counselor, and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you. And you need to be over 18. And I can tell you, I am a big believer in uh, in what they do. It's been great. And this is a survey uh, and we're going to go right to the uh, interview after I read this brief survey. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a uh, kid. Actually, he's 17, uh, and he calls himself that one guy you vaguely remember from high school. And he writes, and this is his awfulsome moment. The first floor of my house was flooded last week by Hurricane Harvey. I spent the last few days ripping the floors, baseboards, sheetrock, and insulation out of the place I was raised in, and it hasn't been easy everyone thinks i took it really well because i'm not stressed out or scared or anything else in fact i'm actually kind of happy because my problems are finally valid
1: i'm so scared of being being alive alive, and and so so scared of dying. dying I was so, so lonely, but I couldn't bear being around people, and it hurt. I've just been, like, very interested in dicks.
0: I don't know how to let loose and just be.
1: All my altars have different handwriting
0: and different... Extremely anxious. Affects. I am most turned on when I am in fear. My first thought was, I'm about to die. Stomach-clutching despair.
1: Ocean of sadness.
0: I came out over the phone to them.
1: I put myself on the act of in fourth grade.
0: That is fantastic. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to have our uh, our guest here. Um, she's a speaker. Uh, she's an author. She has a book out called "Every Moment of a Fall," a memoir of recovery through EMDR therapy. Please welcome Carol E. Miller. Sit down. Let's talk about pain. Let's uh, Carol has her uh, Oh yeah. Her menopausal ice pack there. In, in case she's pressing it to her neck. Yes. Is well, that the best place to put it?
1: Well in That you public. can do publicly in public, yeah, sure. yes. <laughs> Yes, I was telling Paul earlier that uh if I turn bright red i 'm not having a stroke i 'm just okay. having a hot flash okay. because talking about these things makes that happen,
0: yeah, if I turn bright red, I am having a stroke okay, but ignore me because i 'm not worth help <laughs> uh, i'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> always worried people are going to think i'm I'm serious when i uh, when I say that. Uh, where to start let's let's uh, start with the obvious place let's talk about uh let's talk about uh childhood and um what was kind of the the environment that that you were raised in paint, paint kind of a picture for us if you will
1: Whew. Uh, <laughs> so i grew up in new england um and i was born in bangor maine woohoo mm-hmm. um and um I had an older brother and sister, and um, our father was a sexual predator. He was uh, a doctor, and he was a very big muckety-muck in our church. Um, but he was also a man who just preyed on his children and his wife and his patients in his medical practice and people in the church. Um, he was a real piece of work.
0: Wow. And so. Although you do have to give kudos to somebody who used both types of pray, both spellings. Yes. Both the words.
1: Exactly.
0: If nothing, he is thorough.
1: Yep. Gives a whole new meaning to let us
0: pray. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. (laughs) I knew you were going to be a good guest. I knew it. Um, So he uh, was abusive not only within your family, but to his his patients?
1: He was, yes. I mean, just one example. Um, His office was in the basement of our home, and and my mother went down there for some reason um, one day, and she heard him having sex with someone in the treatment room, and he called to her from inside the treatment room, don't you dare come in here. And that was kind of... uh,
0: but by the noises, your mother knew that it was something.
1: Some, something not. It wasn't
0: just your regular physical. Right. And and was it uh, a minor, an adult? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, either way, it's yeah. abuse.
1: I mean, yeah. there were uh, um, people who uh, he sort of singled out to go on house calls um, mm-hmm. And, I mean, I, I was only six when he died, so...
0: By the way, I'm a little disappointed you didn't use air quotes for house calls, because if <laughs> right. there was ever a need for uh, yeah. air quotes, uh, right there, but go
1: ahead. Yeah. So there were certain people who were primed, you know, mm-hmm. and he would go on a house call. How you use the air quotes. <laughs> yes. Um, and he would bring, um, usually, one of my brothers along to sort of post... To be the lookout in case what anybody came along. Yeah.
0: Whoa.
1: Yeah. How old were your brothers? So this is where it gets complicated. Um, they they were much older than than me because um, he, my father was much older than my mother was uh, twenty years older than my mother and had been married before. So so I have two half brothers who are. Considerably older than I am, but but I mean when they were teenagers, you know
0: How do you have they ever shared with you how he presented that to them and how they felt about it?
1: Um, not really no, I mean there have been times when um, one of them has Been more open about or willing to talk about it and then you know Retracted saying oh, you know Maybe I wasn't remembering it correctly or, you know, the way that people do to to just kind of get through.
0: And was he uh, outwardly pious in public? (laughs) Why do I not find that surprising?
1: (laughs) I mean, I know plenty of people who are religious who are not jerks. You know, they're not pious pious jerks. Absolutely. He was not one of those people. I mean, he was revered in the church, and he used that to his advantage. I mean, he, um, when he died, our family was had. I mean, was destitute because he gave all of his money, all of our money, I guess, to um, mission causes and to build a Christian school. I mean, it was all about like. I mean, it was a narcissist, so it mm-hmm. was about making himself look good. Mm -hmm. You know, on paper.
0: And he probably told himself that this was his way of, you know, compensating for, you know, what it's so rare, I think, that, that the narcissist truly can be rigorously honest with themselves about their motives.
1: Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I always ask therapists: Have you ever had somebody who agreed that they have narcissistic personality <laughs> disorder? And not once has a therapist ever said yes. I, I have. Um, give us some memories from from childhood. So, um, by the way, what did your Mother, Did she share that with you?
1: So my mother, toward the end of her life, um, started talking more about my father. And, um, I mean, you know, way more details than I needed to have, like, about the woman who had dentures. And so she could take out her teeth, and that made her, uh, that was one of the house calls, you know. <laughs> <Wow>. Thanks, Mom.
0: <laughs> so your mom had no boundaries either, it sounds like. Uh, she- yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and um,
0: This was after your your father passed. Yes. Your mother shared this yes. with you. And your father passed when you were six?
1: I was six, okay. yes. So, I mean, the things that I remember about him um, are I would go I would sneak in to bed with my mother and try and cuddle with her and he would, um, you know, pick me up and take me back to my bed and just kind of dump me there and not really no there was no tucking in or anything like that um there was one time that he before he took me out of the room there the television was on and i guess there was some pbs show or something of a surgery Mm -hmm. and i was my mother gave birth by cesarean section to all of us, and so my father said, "Oh Carol, look at that that 's how you were born, showing like this scalpel being you know like wow. going
0: across flesh and 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 what did uh, what did you say did i didn't i, I didn 't
1: know i didn 't know what what was happening you know mm. i mean it wasn 't until much later that I kind of put together what that mm. image was, you know, mm. and what he was Um, and I mean, another memory was, um, he built a rowboat for us, um, one summer out of just like random pieces of wood that were hanging around in the garage. And, um, he brought it to, um, we were staying in a, in a boathouse, um, that he had, uh, that Belonged to one of his patients um, my, So my mother and my brother and sister And I were staying there for the summer So he built this boat and he brought it To the beach for us And he went to step into it And he put his foot through the bottom of it um, And He was really pissed And so he wanted us to still Use it um, <laughs> Yeah Because yeah. he had gone to all this Trouble
0: First of all I'm surprised that he didn't blame anybody yeah. But uh, so, yeah. how could you use a boat with a hole in the bottom of it?
1: Well, precisely, yeah. <laughs> but so, what he did was, he, um, you know, I was like, I, I was probably five. I didn't know how to swim yet. Um, I was kind of cruising along the edge of the water, and he came up behind me and put a, a life preserver on me and grabbed me and put me in the boat, and he grabbed my older sister and put her in the boat. And he just rode us the heck out into the harbor, and this water was coming in and coming in and coming in. And, I mean, I think that was the first time I thought it was going to die.
0: So it, it sounds like one of the payoffs for him in his abuse is uh, sadism. You know, I, I mean, he sounds really um, like any chance to watch people suffer was... Um, yeah, to I, it, him. That's
1: what it feels like. Yeah. I mean, and I can only assume that that he, that's what he got. Yeah, you know, as a child, that he was, you know.
0: Do you have? Yeah. Uh, I forget to do this often, but to ask about any positive memories or moments with people who were abusive, because as, as you know, people are very complicated, and most yeah. of us tend to be have some dark and some light. And
1: yeah, I've I've, I've tried to bring those up, you know, and it may be a function of the fact that I was six when he died. And, um, I don't, I don't okay. have any, I mean, there was a, you know, a habitual memory where he would come up into the kitchen when I was eating lunch and, um, he would take my sandwich and eat it, um, and that's
0: very touching. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> it, was a, it was a special shared moment between yeah. us yeah. every day. And I finally convinced my mother to not to cut the sandwich so that yeah. I could have the whole sandwich in my hand and, or in my mouth. And, and he was, you know, really unhappy about that. And so he picked me up, and that's one of the few times I remember being in his arms. And he took me into the bathroom to wash my face, but we stopped and looked in the mirror first and he said what a bad girl you are look at what a mess you made and don't touch me with those hands um, so that was the that was what being held by him was like I guess
0: wow. it's amazing too how the, the narcissist will project what sounds like they absolutely subconsciously feel about themselves
1: yeah I mean, I feel it's been only very recently that I've fully come to understand that he didn't see me. He yeah. didn't see me at all. He, When he looked at me, you know, it was like a reflective surface that, yeah. you know, just went back to him.
0: There's uh, a really interesting book uh, called the, uh, I believe it's called The Psychopath Next Door, and it's three case studies of... Um, uh, Psychopathy and and the author also talks about uh, sociopathic people and the difference between the two but one of the things that she talks about when it comes to uh, psychopathy is that she she and apparently a lot of mental health uh, uh, researchers believe that it is a genetic thing, whereas sociopathy tends to be more envir- triggered by environment, hmm. and that the psychopaths um, uh, clearly lack the ability to experience empathy. So they view life as a game and people as chess pieces but they need a bigger and bigger payoff to feel. Um, And so that's why they usually wind up escalating their behavior and burning their lives to the the ground. Um, But it's... um, I try to remember that when I want to stab somebody in the eye <laughs> that is doing that that they, you know I am expecting them to do something that they are incapable of of doing mm-hmm. um and it's but it's so hard it's so hard what do you feel and think as you as you think back on your father and-
1: um I am um, only very recently um, a- Allowing myself To really feel those Feelings and there's a huge I mean it feels like a lake of Grief inside of me yeah. I mean it's just Is a rage or two I expect so um, mm. I mean I haven't Gotten to too much of it Yet but I you know I expect that It will
0: that's what octobers come. are For yes <laughs> The trees get nice and bare. Yep. The days get short. And then it's time to get a baseball bat and go to work on a wall.
1: Take out some kneecaps. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, Talk about, if you're comfortable, um, his predatory behavior within your family.
1: Yeah. So... um, From the time that I was old enough to sleep in a big girl bed um, And I don't remember when that time arrived But um, my older sister and I, who is four years older than I am Shared a room And so he would come into our room And um, she was always his victim And for a very long time That, in my mind, meant it didn't happen you know it didn't happen to me it it, mm-hmm. it didn't have any effect on me um and only very recently did i say kind of oh, wait a second you know i was in that room mm-hmm. um i would sleepwalk a lot um i and i'm sure that i mean i would just kind of wake up standing at the top of the stairs you know and um i'm sure it was to get out of there I would um go into my brother's room and wake up in the morning and you know in his bed um yeah there was a lot of traveling out of there um and you know my brother who's 6 years older than I am told me recently um that he used to dread when my when our mother would go to church in the evening because he knew that he was going to hear the crying and the you know
0: Oh, my God, that's...
1: From the room next door. Wow. Yeah.
0: And so you you probably didn't know specifically what was happening. You just knew he was hurting your sister.
1: I, I did, yeah. I mean, and I was so buried that, you know. I mean, I recently had uh, went to work with a, a physical therapist, and she was talking to me about um my tailbone Mm -hmm. and um she said so if you're imagine if you had a tail it would be you know sort of flowing out from your tailbone And she said so if you had a tail it would be between your legs Mm -hmm. and when she told me that i just thought okay <laughs> that has been that way for a very very long time i have had my tail between my legs since i was a very small child
0: you carry tension yeah sure. just yeah. like
1: clutching mm. you know um so i even though i didn't know what was going on um clearly the message got through that this is this is very painful this is wrong and y- you could be next
0: I've read more than a few surveys and more than a few emails from people who were that sibling in that Mm -hmm. room and who felt helpless and who struggle to call what they experienced abuse. Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, it is so clearly sexual abuse because you're making somebody witness something and they're powerless. They're absolutely powerless. And on top of it, it's the person who's supposed to protect you. And yeah. um, and then you. a lot of those people also then have the guilt of why wasn't it me? Right. What did I do wrong? I'd even had an email from one person who so longed for any kind of affection from that parent that they wished they had been the one who had experienced it. So they could have even had the littlest bit of physical touch from that, mm-hmm. that person. Talk, if, if, if you would, about the ripples of experiencing that that somebody who hasn't might not consider.
1: I mean, I think that maybe the simplest way to think about it is that the message is just so clear you are worthless you, you i you are mine i own you i can do whatever i want to you your body is mine your soul is mine your everything is mine and you can't get away from me um and and you're trash mm-hmm. and i mean that is such a profound mm-hmm. uh message to receive from like you said the person who's supposed to be uh, your protector,
0: and the, and the fact that he isn't even concerned that you're witnessing this—right? What message does that send to you? That you're so what, weak, inconsequential? Uh, don't don't let me put words in your mouth. I'm just trying to imagine how invisible.
1: Yeah, you yeah.
0: must. Do you struggle with feeling invisible today?
1: For sure. Yes. Um, and I'm I mean I'm six feet tall I'm hard to miss you know mm-hmm. but I I really for so long have just felt like yeah you can't see me <laughs> I, I'm not here I, it's it, and like I said it's been only it, it's been a process mm-hmm. of going back to that original trauma you know um to get at those incredibly deep things and and to really understand that
0: um, that was the first message I had about myself. Which is also the same message that people who are emotionally neglected who experience. People who grow up in a house where emotions aren't discussed, where only their achievements are seen, only their successes are um, uh, noticed. And and those people have such trouble validating their pain, their feelings of worthlessness, their confusion Um, and to them I I just want to say this is this is a similar injury and that's not to minimize the person who experienced sexual or physical abuse or violence but in my opinion it's the message, the negative self belief that we're left with, that is the thing to focus on and try to and to try to work through. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any any more on feeling invisible? Because I think it's such an important struggle and so hard to get through to feel seen, to feel heard. Um, or maybe we'll hold off on it until you get into recovery and. If there's been any shift in that, we can talk about yeah. that. Yeah,
1: okay. I think that makes sense because there are other, you know, episodes that yeah. sort of contributed to the invisibility and
0: yeah. Um. Anything else from that period of uh of your life?
1: Um. You know, what you were saying about um, hearing from other people who have. Been siblings of those who were sexually abused is completely familiar. I mean, yeah. that I mean, it was a shock to me to hear my current therapist tell me that you know, Calif in California recently um, there was a bill passed to compensate um, siblings of sexual uh, abuse in, in the same way. Yeah, um, and I just thought, what? You know, and that really felt like that. Um, well, it, you know, it's not as bad, you know, mm. or it's not it, it it's not the same, and it's not the same, but it is
0: traumatic. It's, yeah, it's traumatic. It's
1: a it's a it's erasing right. it, of the self.
0: Right. and uh, also I would say the parent that sits the child down and introduces them to pornography, mm-hmm. uh, which then I would imagine is also very confusing if the child becomes aroused. Yeah, Because then there's all kinds of mixed messages. Uh, going back to uh, your mom, you, you said that uh, later in her life she shared too many details with you, etc. And we kind of got off, I took us off on a tangent. Um, what do you remember her sharing about your father uh, after he died?
1: Um, It, it wasn't until much... Later, um, you know, it wasn't until I was an adult um, that she would talk about him. But, um, you know, she admitted that he would rape her. And, um, you know, she was talking about how he raped her one time when we were in that boathouse, which was tiny. And I said, well, like, where? And she said, oh, he just, you know, like, went over in a... Because we were all sleeping in the same room. And she said, oh, yeah, he just took me over here. And that was it, you know, like... And we were right there in the room. Um, So... But but, but my mother also um, would say things like, you know, um, when your father would go to hit you kids, I would beg him to hit me instead. Um, and Jan Who's sitting right over there Was the first person Who said to me What? Because <laughs> cause for my mother That was always like Her badge of honor You know Like oh I put myself in Between your father and you mm-hmm. And I was going to Sacrifice myself And I, for the first time In therapy I heard You know what That's not what you say To somebody who says that Yeah
0: 911 would have been A yeah. nice m- middle ground
1: Yeah yeah. yeah, exactly. Or if you lay a finger on these people, you're mm-hmm. so out of here.
0: And that, to me, that that speaks of some kind of underlying belief your mom had, that which is we're powerless over yes. men. You can't trust authorities um, and that we can't survive on our own. Yes. Do you feel like that? Message was consciously or subconsciously passed along to you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Uh, what's the next part of the story? The story, your life, anything that you would like to talk <laughs> about?
1: Um. So as I've said a few times, he died when I was mm-hmm. six. Thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, you stabbed him. Yes. Mm. <laughs> uh, From behind, I hope. <laughs> Yep, I stabbed him in the back of the kneecap, yes. and he, he bled very slowly. <laughs> um, yeah, and my mother remarried a little less than two years later. And um, my stepfather adopted my brother and sister and me. And he had a daughter who he had adopted during his previous marriage, so we got a younger sister
0: why would he need to adopt you if he was with your mother who gave birth to you Uh,
1: yeah i mean i think it's i mean he had new birth certificates made with him listed as our father and
0: so he sounds like a narcissist like your (laughs) other father yeah 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 your mother is consistent
1: she was very consistent Mm -hmm. yes
0: yeah um So I'm going to say your home was predictable and you are really just complaining about minor things.
1: Absolutely. Wine, wine, wine. (laughs) Um, So uh,
0: he generously adopts these uh, children in need. And (laughs) and
1: then what happened? And then, um, so that was when I was eight. Mm -hmm. And when I was 16 um, and my younger sister was 12, we were going um, to... And this is
0: a sister who had been adopted with him and his previous wife. Correct. Okay.
1: Yes. Um, so the f- my mother and stepfather and my younger sister and I were um, going to visit relatives in, in Maine. Mm-hmm. And um, I was 16, and I was like, you got to be kidding me. I have to spend all day with you people? I mean, I want to be doing stuff with my friends you know um and so i thought well a a way to get this over with faster would be to um ask my dad to fly us instead of driving because he had um we had done that he i mean
0: he had a pilot's license he had a pilot's
1: license um it's not like our family owned an airplane, but he had access to... He could borrow other people's. And,
0: and And where were you at this point?
1: We were in Concord, Massachusetts. Okay. Shot heard around the world okay. land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, he, so he went for it because that was yeah. a great idea. Um, and so we flew to... The four of us flew to Maine to visit relatives. And then uh, we were flying back to Concord and... There was a carbon monoxide leak in the plane, so um, I took off my seatbelt early in the flight because I wanted to nap, and um, and then I I passed out uh, from the gas as I my sister and mother did, um, and my stepfather was the last one to be affected by the gas. we got to about a mile from the mm-hmm. runway, and we were on the approach to the airport and He saw street lights down below it was in a residential neighborhood, and he thought those were the landing lights because his brain wasn't working anymore mm-hmm. and so um i I don't know if he at that point passed out, but that's when we crashed um, We went the plane went down. Through a wooded area Through some trees The wings came off Uh, The nose of the plane Hit Landed in somebody's backyard Um, And the plane Went across the yard And flipped upside down Except not all the way Because the tail caught On the screen porch of this house So um, It took About a half an hour for anybody to find us It was dark and overcast And end of October um, And um, I was in and out of consciousness I just remember him Saying can you move your feet And trying to figure out what that meant And then moving my feet And um, he was trying to get Us to get out of the plane Because there was gasoline everywhere And he was afraid that it was going to explode and um, I realized that, yeah, I could move my feet, but my arm was trapped. Um, it was caught underneath the instrument panel of the plane. So I couldn't get out. My mother got herself out. Um, and uh, the next thing I remember was a, a police officer in who had crawled in the plane with me and was asking me what my name was and... What day it was, and who was the president, and you know those kinds of questions they ask you when you're not right yeah. and um <laughs> uh, and so they you know when the first responders came, they caught everyone out quickly, um but it took a lot longer um because they couldn't figure out how to get me out of this plane um and in fact. Um, so uh, they used the jaws of life and and the the policeman who was in the plane with me was telling you know he was telling me what was going on he was asking me you know can you f- touch anything with your hand that's caught you know trying to figure out where my hand was and then he was relaying information to the people on the outside, so they used the jaws of life and I didn't know what that was, but it worked um and just as that was happening, uh, apparently the sur- a surgery team had arrived from the hospital to amputate my arm. So um, that was fortuitous that you know wow. uh, the they got me out before that had to happen. So they pulled me out of the plane. Uh, there was a huge gasp, uh, you know, from the crowd around, and um, there was a TV camera. Light that went on, and um they put me into the ambulance and took me to the to the emergency room and told me that i mean first they cut my clothes off and x-rayed me and discovered that I had nothing wrong with me I had no injuries um, I had no broken bones um i i mean my Face was I smashed my face, so there was a lot of blood and
0: bruising and
1: yeah, and some surface scarring and stuff, but no internal injuries. I mean, my both of my parents had broken ribs and punctured lungs, and um, my mother's face was sliced open and her knees. I mean, it was just a total bloody mess, and um, and I didn't have any of that. And my sister was killed. She was hanging upside down, um, still strapped into her seat, uh, her arms and legs hanging into the cockpit um, when they found her. So, deep breath. (laughs) So they put me in the children's ward because there was nothing wrong with me. Uh, But they needed to, you know, keep an eye on me for a couple of days, because I'd hit my head pretty badly, and I had just survived a plane crash. Um, And I didn't see my parents. They wouldn't let me go see them, and um, they wouldn't let anyone go see my parents. And so all of uh, my stepfather's patients, because he was a doctor, he's a doctor Mm -hmm. as well, um, came to visit him in the hospital and they couldn't get to see him so they came to see me so all of these strangers were streaming through my hospital room telling me what an awesome you know, person my dad was um, and basically asking me to reassure them that he was going to be okay and uh, he was going to still be their doctor.
0: And so it it, it's, it sounds like <laughs> <laughs> first of all your, your dad met the right people. Uh, <laughs> uh, did they play like Narcissist Bridge on Wednesday nights? <laughs> um, I mean, we can look back on it now, and this this was in the seventies
1: when this happened. This was seventy nine.
0: Yeah, it sounds like this was back in that era where we weren't really conscious that much of emotional trauma, and yeah. we were just focused on. Uh, physical trauma, and I imagine every person in this room, and people listening to this are just thinking, "Oh my God, somebody go hug that girl yes. and tell her you know we 're going to get you through this, and um, your body may be okay, but um this is this is it 's right that you feel scared yeah. and shaky and confused and talk about all the feelings that you remember feeling, thoughts you remember thinking.
1: Um, you know, the fact that I was not wearing my seatbelt was sh- sort of like the first and I was not injured. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that that was so horrific because um I had asked my stepfather to fly us and I was cold in the plane and so I had asked for more heat and, you know, that was apparently how the, um, carbon monoxide got into the plane. So, you know, here I was pretty much uninjured and these people were clinging to life and Nancy was dead and, um, I didn't, you know, I didn't have anything to show for what I had, what had happened to me. Um, and I didn't have any externally, yes, and Mm -hmm. I didn't have any. And people were saying to me things like it was God's will, and you know, God spared you because something He wants you to do something great, and you know, be strong for your parents, and you know, you're a kid, and so you're going to bounce back really quickly because kids are resilient. Um, And you know, and what they weren't asking was, you know, please um, don't cry in front of me because this is too hard for me to think about um and i just you know i was very obliging
0: Mm -hmm. i'm reminded of something that i heard uh, and i never thought i'd be quoting marilyn manson uh, on the (laughs) podcast but uh in the wake of columbine uh somebody said to him um what would you tell what would you have told you know those kids that shot everybody and took their own life and he said i wouldn't have told them anything i would have listened yeah and the thought just occurred to me that that's what you really needed in that moment was for somebody to just patiently even if you didn't say anything for five days yeah to just sit there in your hospital room and say anytime you feel like talking about anything there's nothing you can't we can't talk about yeah what do you think you would have said if you were that if that had happened? Or might have said?
1: Yeah. I I think I probably would have said I want my mother. Um you know, it it was only a couple of days that I was separated from her, but um it felt like a lifetime. Yeah. I mean, because everything had changed. Um and I don't know that I would have been able, that I would have known what to ask for, but I so I felt so alone, it felt like I was burning, you know, um, and nobody would touch me. You know, there was no comfort um, or very little of, mm. of it. And um, if I had been capable of asking for somebody to comfort me. And I mean, there was one person who was a friend who came and just sat with me and cried and cried and cried. And I got to see the tears washing down his face. And I remember that perfectly to this day because he wasn't pretending that it wasn't horrible what had happened. And he was just showing his feelings and and saying without saying you can do this, too.
0: Have you ever seen him since then?
1: Um, I saw him right afterwards, but it's been years and years and years.
0: If you were to see him again, would you say anything to him? And Absolutely. If so, what would you say to him?
1: I would thank him for being honest. I mean, for just sitting with me and holding my hand and and not saying bullshit stuff like not telling you what
0: to feel yeah
1: or trying to you know I mean people genuinely I'm at a loss in situations like that too and I've been through it so I get it that we don't know really what to say to one another in situations like that Mm -hmm. but just to sit with someone and and not try and bat it away or Mm -hmm. you know make a glory you know a glorious story yeah. out of it yeah
0: yeah There's something i've started doing that i never used to do because i thought it was the wrong thing to do is when somebody shares something difficult that they're going through is to say that fucking sucks <laughs> that really sucks and i'm so sorry that you're having to go through this and uh because i used to be one of the people that would say but you know Uh, You're going to get better. You're going to do this. And um, from doing this podcast, I I hear that people want honesty in in that moment. I'm sure each person is different, but um, I think there's some comfort in hearing the truth as long as you know that person giving you the truth is there for you. You know yeah if and if they were like, "This sucks, listen, I got a roll <laughs> you know, that that might not be as comforting, yeah, I'm double parked, yeah, but uh, good luck to you <laughs> yeah. uh, go ahead, you were going to say something
1: It just flew out of my head, yeah, it must have been amazing, menopause yes <laughs> yes, absolutely
0: menopause. um well we were talking about uh that person, um not bullshit somebody not bullshitting you somebody sitting um being honest with you um, uh, what you you would say uh if you saw that person again um not being afraid to say this sucks instead of trying to spin it does that trigger anything
1: i mean we just weren't allowed to in 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 my household after Mm -hmm. that to say what we were feeling about that you know i mean my stepfather made it clear very early on. He said, you know, um, this hurts me more than it hurts you, basically. <laughs> how
0: <laughs> odd of him to put himself before you. Yes. <laughs>
1: like, this was, you know, much yes. worse for me than it was for you, and so that's how we're going to play this. Yeah. Um, and you know i didn 't know anything about anything i didn 't know anything about trauma i didn 't know there was such a thing as survivor guilt i didn 't know squat and I just knew that I felt incredibly alone, incredibly isolated um, that nobody saw me and nobody wanted to address
0: validate what you were feeling yeah, and you know I imagine in your stepfather 's brain assuming that there was you know some some good intent that it was his awkward way of trying to say um I'm feeling your pain I'm sharing pain the feeling of pain with you but to compare it and to rank it in an order I think is um a poor a poor choice.
1: Yeah, I mean I, there was another awkward instance where um soon after he got out, was released from the hospital, he he told me um about something that I did in the in the emergency room that I had no memory of, but apparently I said something to the attending physician about um that I had tried I had felt the pressure changing in my ears when we were coming down in the plane And I couldn't wake myself up To fasten my seatbelt mm-hmm. And so that made them think Oh okay we're going to test For carbon monoxide poisoning and, oh. and they tested My stepfather's blood And sure enough The markers were there And so he told me that story And he said So you saved my life Because if, if you hadn't told me that I would have had to kill myself um, and and it was kind of like I'm trying to say thank you, but it was more like um, being on stage and being handed a plaque, yeah. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> and then getting a handshake, you know, a hearty handshake. Um,
0: so it's it's amazing how people who are seemingly well intentioned, without having emotional intelligence modeled for them how badly it can be fumbled yeah and misinterpreted and uh just come out completely the opposite of what that person intends yes um what uh, and, and your uh adopted sister that that died in the plane crash um had you seen her Her body Her body
1: No I mean I I found out about that Because The first time The first When I saw My dad In the hospital um, He That was one of the first things he, He started talking About saying Like this is what I said to you And So I was having this you know, like flashback and he was continuing to say it and I was sort of like, la, 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 la. Um, And then he said, and then there was Nan and she was, you know, she was next to me and her, she was hanging there and, you know, it was sort of like giving me the whole
0: story. What, what, what was your dad's purpose in sharing all of that with you?
1: Um, I think that he needed, I mean, he was, he needed
0: to, a 16-year-old s- shoulder to lean on. Right, yeah. <laughs>
1: He needed an audience. and
0: yeah. It sounds like, too, like he might have needed to heard, hear himself talk about how hard he tried to to mm-hmm. take care of this awful thing yeah. that happened. Um, yeah. So then what?
1: So then... Um, i that that happened my junior year of high school, and I this went was up
0: 79? 79 were you yep. comforted at all by the release of my Sharona <laughs>
1: um, no I. Uh,
0: okay. I always may, thought it was a pretty shallow song, but there's a chance it's was a pretty upbeat number and you know uh, the cars yeah but okay.
1: um um my Sharona didn't do it uh <laughs> um when I was in my sophomore year of college I went to therapy for the first time and
0: at, at whose behest?
1: my parent, my I mean my older sister kind of got the ball rolling and the dean of women recommended because I was not performing well mm. um, and so and my parents said yeah maybe it's a good idea and um, so I went and um, it didn't it <laughs> She told me that I was mildly schizophrenic.
0: <laughs> now, I'm only laughing because, uh, you know, in the years following it, that clearly isn't the case. Mm-hmm. But what the fuck?
1: Yeah. Well, and she What didn't, the fuck? Right. And she didn't say what she meant by that. So I'm thinking like Sybil, you know. Right. Because um, and, and I never, don't know and, anything about anything.
0: Right. And you never cared for Sally Field Right Yeah
1: Yeah Um, Yeah That whole nun thing Was disconcerting Yeah (laughs) Um, Yeah So um, She told me that And then she said And it was coming up to be um, Semester break So she said What I want you to do Is I want you to go home And get your family together And I want you to all Sit down And share your feelings About the plane crash um well, that's good, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it was a good idea and I said, tried to explain to her, okay, these are like these are puritans. <laughs> we don't share anything. Uh we don't talk about anything, you know, but she said, you know, I I think you guys can do it and so go and do it. And so we did it and um I don't remember a lot of what was said. I was, you know, cuz I was Thinking about what I was going to say and, um, and that was That I said to my Stepfather I, I know that if you had a choice I wouldn't be the one sitting here in this room And he said He didn't say anything for a little bit And then he said You know This has hurt me more than it's hurt you And you don't know what kind of pain I've gone through And then he said yeah you're right That always gets a gasp <laughs>
0: So, um, what do you what do you think or feel when you hear people gasp at that?
1: Um, I think that what's inside me is being externalized,
0: validated. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Does that feel good?
1: Um, yeah, it feels yeah. like okay. I didn't, you know, I that was bad. Yeah, that was definitely bad.
0: Which I think is a testament to how much our brains want to minimize what happened to us yeah you know Uh, i shared something uh that had happened to me uh in a support group one night and the entire and this is a room full of people who have been abused neglected lot of sexual abuse and they gasped the room gasped and it was it felt so good
1: Mm -hmm.
0: because i was like okay i'm not making too big of a deal um Which I think is that thing that you wanted when you're in that hospital room was for somebody to go, Oh my God, this is fucking horrible. Yes.
1: Yep. Yeah, and the and the best person in that hospital was a nurse who washed all the blood out, washed the blood or tried to wash the blood out of my hair she didn't get it all out but she, and, and she was very scientific you know she said to me oh yeah the head bleeds a lot and you know here are the things that I washed out of your hair and there were like springs and pieces of metal and twigs and and that was pretty great that somebody like said this is what happens but it was not a it was not like a gasp You know, it was a it was a cerebral thing. She was
0: seeing you at least. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it was just your physical appearance, it was like, okay, I am here. Yeah. 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 Um. So your dad, your stepdad, says, "Yeah, honestly, I wish you were the one that had died." Mm -hmm. Um. Please don't say that he said that on Christmas.
1: (laughs) He did not. Okay. So he's not a bad guy. Yeah. It was. it, It was Christmas Eve. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Half bad guy.
1: No, it wasn't really.
0: Um, What is that like?
1: Um, That was, you know, that was it for therapy for me. I was like, okay, if this is what therapy is about, thanks. I've, yeah. I've gotten all that I need. And, and you know... Was I th- she
0: there? The, obviously, the therapist wasn't there. The
1: therapist was not there. Why um, would she not have
0: you all come in and her be there? That seems kind of...
1: Well, I was going to college in the Midwest, and my family was living, you know, in the Boston area. I see. So she could, was out of town. I mean, she recommended that we have the pastor of our church come. and. Why not? Yeah. Um,
0: and what did he say?
1: Uh, he wasn't there. Hmm. So it was just family. Okay. Um, but the thing. Did that, anybody say anything to your dad when he said that? Well, I was just going to tell you. So my mom. So he he pulls the p- perfectly pressed handkerchief Out of his back pocket And is wiping his eyes And my mom jumps up to comfort him Yeah
0: Wow Yeah She did that Did you have any inkling how fucked up that was at that that point?
1: I, you know, she and I went out to lunch sometime during that, I I don't know if it was during that break, semester break, or if it was sometime after that, but within not too long after that experience, I said to her, look, you know, this guy is not my biological father, and I'm done. You know, you, you know... I I don't have any reason to try with him anymore because he's just made it clear that, you know, I'm not not important. I'm not wanted. Yeah. And I wasn't able to put it in those terms Mm -hmm. at at that time, but I was able to say to her, I'm not going to make an effort with him because I don't think it's going to come to anything.
0: And what did your mom say?
1: She kind of said, oh, honey, you know, and I okay you know she didn't say um you have to obey him mm-hmm. um but she was pretty noncommittal pretty passive about it and mm. you know in her consistently passive way
0: yeah. so what's the next step or so, chapter or?
1: yeah the next thing is, I mean, 20 years of wandering in the wilderness, basically. I mean... Um,
0: and what were your coping mechanisms in the wake of all of this? Um, Healthy, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, lots of alcohol, chain smoking. Check. Check. Yeah, lots of drugs. Check. Um, Unhealthy relationships? Sex with people who I that could be sure of would never love me. That a girl. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Um, You know, I mean, I just, I totally knew at that point that I did not deserve to be alive. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to do everything I could to live as close to being not here Mm -hmm. as I could make myself, basically. And I was going to find people who would reinforce that over and over and tell me that same story over and over again.
0: I just had this image of like, when we're in that place... we don't want to bet on ourselves. So it's like the smaller of a life we can live, the less it's going to hurt when something gets taken away from us. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like a way of, of, um, you know, how some people are afraid of success. I think it's because we're afraid of the fall. We've, we've had so our trust shattered so many times that it's like, no, I don't want to be above the curb because I'm going to fall eventually. And I'd rather lose shitty things than the good thing that is so new and terrifying and will be painful when it does, when the other shoe does drop. Yep. Uh, So... Any highlights from uh, this shit show of 20 years? I
1: mean, yeah, a relationship that lasted, you know, that should never have occurred, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just found the person who was as fucked up as me, basically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he said, slumped on the floor of my apartment, said, you know, I don't know why you love me. I'm not lovable. And she I just said thought that you said that. he said that. Yeah. And I just thought, you are my dude. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get how I totally get that. That's exactly how I feel. And I'm going to fix that for you, too. Uh,
0: it's so common. Yes. It's so common. Yep. I don't want to look at my pain, so let me fix you. Yep. And you being fixed will fix me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so. Um, I got to the point where I was 39 years old and I really, I I couldn't get off the couch. I mean, I was, he and I had moved to San Francisco and, um, you know, I had all these grand plans about how I was gonna, what I was gonna do here and um, I just couldn't scrape myself out of bed, basically. Um, And um, I remember thinking everything interesting about me has already happened i was 39 and i just thought okay now it's just like coasting downhill for you know the rest Mm -hmm. of
0: it do you feel like that was also aided by the way uh, society physically views aging women or do you feel like that was just because of you and your story
1: oh it was i'm sure both yeah um
0: um talk about uh i don't know how, how much time we'll have to, to devote to it but i feel like we haven't talked on the podcast enough about um the uh women as they age and and men to a much much smaller degree being relegated to the sidelines as they yeah. as they age
1: funny you should say that because yeah. um the thing that got me back into therapy at age 39 was i discovered that my partner was uh, having an affair or a series or who knows how many um and the one that i sort of copped on to was with a, a colleague of his and um of course my first reaction was well of course he's having an affair i mean look at you like who wouldn't have an affair on you who wouldn't cheat on you um and he in part of his denial was he said, well, you know, we're not doing anything and she reminds me of you when you were younger.
0: Wow. (laughs) The history of people saying the wrong thing (laughs) and thinking they're saying the right thing is staggering. Yep. Wow. Yep.
1: Wow. and after that gem, he said, he sort of intimated that if I got into therapy, he might not leave, he might cons- reconsider, you know, and not leave me. So I thought, okay, um, it's been 20 years, maybe I'll give this another shot, because I'll, I was desperate to, you know, keep that amazing
0: relationship going. <laughs> so, what's next <laughs> <laughs> or uh, if you have more to uh, elaborate on about that that dynamic
1: um you know i mean i that's what drove me to therapy. I was that desperate um and fortunately, I um met connie rubiano who's Somewhere out there um, And started working with her and Is Connie uh-huh. out there? She is Okay I
0: thought she abandoned you So I just <laughs> wanted to make sure
1: And <laughs> um, yeah, but I I made it clear to her like I I think when we first talked on the phone I told her about the plane crash, but then I kind of marched into the office and said and she would bring it up and I would say, "No, that's not important. That's that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about how to fix this relationship."
0: Oh my god.
1: Yeah. That's and so she,
0: fantastic.
1: And she kept, you know, it was like 6 months and she would say, you know, she would slip it in every once in a while. And um and and Finally, she used the word "trauma," and I was like, "What are you talking about and 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 she told me uh, that she had referred an, um, another person she was working with to a, an EMDR practitioner, mm-hmm. and um, she couldn't remember what those initials stood for mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> But she said it 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 works pretty it worked well for this woman, so you might want to try it for
0: yourself. And this I This must have been in the infancy of it too, right?
1: Um it was in the early two thousands. Okay. Um so, yeah, there wasn't much out there about it So I At went, least in
0: terms of it catching on Yes,
1: yeah. yeah So I went home and I googled it And I found out that it stan- EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing And I thought, oh shit um, First they hypnotize you And then they brainwash you I'm in I'm in, I, I still want to go there Maybe i meet a shitty guy there <laughs> yes
0: Yeah. And so, what do you remember uh, feeling as you started doing it?
1: Um, it just, I mean, in the first session, um, it opened the floodgates, literally. Like, I've never sobbed like that before in my life because I was in that plane and I was trapped and there was no one there and I was never going to get out and everyone had left me there alone. I mean that was It was the most Bottomless feeling Of despair I've ever Encountered And I just Wept and wept And wept And wept And Then
0: How did the waiting room react? (laughs) Yeah (laughs) Exactly (laughs) And you're being in the waiting room Next (laughs) The fuselage is on fire And dad (laughs) hates me (laughs) Knock 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 Hey it's three o'clock Can you guys wrap it up? Yep Um How long did that feeling uh, last And what did you feel like uh, In the hours or days After that first session
1: So that um, I mean it's crazy talk But um, well that's what this is all about I guess Mm -hmm. Um, But you know At the end of that session Jan said to me Okay now um, I want you to um, You're not there anymore you you'll never be there again so tell yourself that you can never be hurt like that again and i was just like what is that going to do and but i did it and i felt it and i swear to god i was humming by the time i was walking out of that really i mean and it wasn't like an instant fix, but it was, you know, practically. A load practically. had been dropped. Yeah, yeah, it was like an angel choir over here a little bit, you know. Um, and so I knew that we were onto to something.
0: And I know, I just want to say to anybody out there listening, it, it, EMDR, from what I understand, is not always that profound <laughs> and dramatic and instantaneous. So right. I just I want people yes. to know that. Go try it. it it's, yes, results may vary. Yes,
1: it's different um, for everyone. Yes, I have
0: had positive uh, results from EMDR, but mostly it, it just involved me going to sleep and uh-huh. napping for two days solid. Um, yeah. But I do remember feeling uh, th- muscles releasing yes. and feeling like my body had been, like my joints had been oiled.
1: Yes, absolutely. for me, it was so much about my throat and my chest opening up. Um, I mean, there were birds flying out of my throat. Mm-hmm. There were all kinds of things like that happening that were...
0: Um, the, the feeling of it or the image I of mean, it? The or? image
1: of it, yeah. i assuming then, it
0: wasn't actually happening.
1: No, it wasn't actually happening, but... Because e- we know
0: birds come out of your asshole, not right. out of your throat. <laughs> the pretty ones. Yeah. Oh, go yes.
1: ahead. It was kind of creepy.
0: <laughs> that it took a really creepy turn right there at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe in the beginning. Go ahead.
1: The white ones come out of your mouth. That's right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the brown ones come out of your mouth. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. <laughs> so yeah. you were feeling light? You were feeling... Yes.
1: I mean, it was really like I had been walking around in this, like wearing all every shred of clothing that I owned, and, and I had sewed, like, lead weights into everything, mm-hmm. and, like, you know, sort of one... Glove or sock or sleeve or whatever at a time. I was shedding these layers and these layers, and I was getting, you know, it was like, felt like I was off the ground by the and end. And with of,
0: each session? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And would you spend multiple sessions on one event?
1: Yeah. I mean, we spent a lot of time just going back to the plane crash, mm-hmm. um, you know, back and back and back. Um, and then we started to move to other things that, you know, some of the things that I talked to you about earlier, about the, the boat with the hole in it, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, being in the room where where my older sister was abused and um, I mean, I had this one experience where I, it was the thing that told me that I wasn't making this shit up, that this was actually a, a real thing. Mm-hmm. I, um, I was... In our room And I was hearing the whispering And the whimpering Over on the other side of the room And I had this feeling like Why doesn't he ever come to my side of the room And I was so freaked out by that I ripped the headphones off And I was like We gotta stop And um, and and we talked about it And Jan said You know of course you would If you were four years old, you would wonder why your your father wasn't coming over to, you know, sit on your bed and pay attention to you. And I was, I mean, and, and I, I think that was the thing that really clinched it for me. Like, this is, we're, we're going to real places here. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: That's intense. It was so, intense. so intense. It
1: was, <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was.
0: When do you first remember feeling, I'm healing and the way I'm seeing the world is different and the way I'm seeing myself is different? Um, Before you answer that, um, is that considered cognitive behavioral therapy, Uh, her saying to you, you you are not still in that plane? Um, This was something that happened in the past. Is that... Connie, yeah, is that let's, it?
1: let's ask an ex, expert about yeah.
0: that okay, no? <laughs> oh, challenging a rational thought another another person said, I was just curious what that kind of gets <laughs> filed under. Um, you don't have to say it with such hate, Connie
1: <laughs> no, no, that was Jan
0: look, or Jan <laughs> look, we all know I'm an idiot um. <laughs> She's
1: pretty hateful. Yeah.
0: But she's inexpensive. So. Right.
1: <laughs> so
0: um, that's not true. We all know no therapists are inexpensive. Right. Um, that's not true. So what, when do you remember feeling a shift in your day-to-day life as opposed to just a, you know, an epiphany? Uh, where it, it felt like, oh my God, this is taking hold. My relationships are changing. My view of myself is changing. My view of whatever. Is
1: changing. So I, it, in that initial uh, course of EMDR, it was fourteen sessions, um, once a week, uh, and I would say that after the third or fourth session, I really, I, I was talking, I was trying to convince my partner you know, I was telling my partner about what was happening and I was excited but I also felt like, you know, I mean, he was sitting there with his arms crossed saying, you know...
0: So he was off the kitchen floor. (laughs) Yeah. Okay.
1: (laughs) I'll believe it when I see it kind of a thing. Um, And, you know, other people were commenting like, wow, you seem, you know, like you're walking three feet off the ground or, you know, but... uh, So, it was evident early on um, and I... Really noticed it. Um,
0: Isn't it, it funny how sometimes it, it other people are the ones that see it in us before yeah. we see it in ourselves. Yep. Yeah, which is why I think support groups and having human connection is so important because they often can see us uh, us seeing ourselves through their eyes mm-hmm. happens first. And uh, for many of us, I think that's the first time we experience love and trust and and um, all of the things that form a great foundation for. Um, relationships, platonic or, or, or otherwise. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yep. Yeah.
0: So people are telling you you're you're glowing, you're three feet off the ground.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, we were slogging through some very, very deep shit, you know, and working hard at it. And, um, you know, it wasn't like suddenly I was, you know, mm-hmm. fixed. Um, but we got to the point where, um, I No longer believed that I was Responsible for that crash I, I no longer believed that I killed My sister that I made The plane crash And and I n- no longer Believed that I didn't deserve to be alive um, Which was Pretty radical um, After carrying that around for So many years It's, a,
0: it's amazing what the kind of healing that can uh, take place when we dive into the work and trust. Yep. Trust someone and trust the process.
1: Yeah. Um, And, you know, uh, it's, I've come to sort of understand that um, that was the, that was the um, guilt part of my therapy, you know, that we were talking about.
0: That you caused the crash. Yeah. That that you were an omnipotent piece of shit. Right. 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 (laughs) Isn't that funny? The, the, Or, yes. what, is it, what do they say, piece of shit the world revolves around? Yeah. Um,
1: and then when I started to, I decided I was going to write about it. I wanted to write about the story. I wanted to write about the therapy because there wasn't much out there for lay people. Um, and um, I started researching it, and I found out that there was an FAA report. And so I ordered a copy of that, and it turns out that there was a... Um, a malfunctioning instrument in that airplane and my stepfather knew about it and he flew anyway. And that was pretty... Even though I had already gotten to the point of knowing that I was not responsible, that was a pretty sweet and horrible (laughs) thing to discover
0: after the fact. Isn't it crazy how complicated shit is? Yes. How just the most... Fantastic and horrible thing can be in the same thing,
1: yes, totally.
0: It's, no wonder we go to therapy mm-hmm. you know? yeah, no wonder, yep um, Talk about the difference between guilt and shame in your recovery,
1: yeah, so I'm in the shame phase now i'm you know. Um, And it goes back to the stuff that we were talking about at the beginning Because guilt is about what we've done And shame is about who we are And the who we are part is so much harder to get at and
0: address Do you think that's because it's been pounded into us usually Through our, our home environment Whereas the guilt tends to be around a singular event Or is it the nature of guilt and the nature of shame?
1: Um I you know I'm sure it's different for yeah. everyone I mean y- you know for me it, there was this obvious one huge event in the in the plane crash and it was in addition to survivor guilt there was all of the things that I the story that I invented about what what I had done to make it happen and I could do something about that, you know? I mean, it's really what it felt like. And the other part of who I am, um, I just kept at arm's length for much longer because what can I do about who I am? Right.
0: Yeah, It seems like the lengths our brain will go to avoid the thought that the world can be cruel and random. Uh, and that we ultimately have very, very little control mm-hmm. um, is such a terrifying thought um, but it it 's also weird because once we embrace that it 's almost like we can connect to something beautiful and positive in the world that helps us feel more rooted and um, is again something so fucked and so beautiful, yeah um, all at the in the in the same package mm-hmm. And we always go to blaming ourselves rather than saying the world can be scary and unpredictable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where do you feel like you're at today? And and is there anything? You, you mentioned you feel like you're in the in the shame phase right mm-hmm. now. Um, is there an outfit for the shame phase? Is it kind of a fall <laughs> collection? A lot of dark dark earthy colors. Um. Yeah.
1: Okay. Maybe a maybe an overcoat. Yeah.
0: How about a veil?
1: (laughs) Oh, that'd be good. I could add like a mantilla, you know, some elaborate kind of, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think, though, you have to make the the veil black and the Mm -hmm. coat brown Mm -hmm. just so it also clashes Mm -hmm. and looks awful. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're dealing with the shame.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I have um, found that, so now I have two therapists again, um, two different therapists Um, One for
0: the EMDR Well,
1: when I was doing the EMDR Mm -hmm. um, Yes, I was doing that with Jan Because Mm -hmm. Connie didn't do EMDR And then I moved away from San Francisco And so I had to uh, When I wanted to get back into therapy again Started working with um, another, a different therapist And what I discovered was that um, We were talking about Abuse this, And it was so hard Sometimes it was like She would say something And it would make sense But then it would slide out of my brain Like I couldn't hold on to it And mm-hmm. I couldn't conceptualize A lot of these things And I just started to and we, and we talked about it And it happened Before I had symbolic language To describe what was going on you know before i really had a way of making sense of it mm-hmm. and so i realized that something more somatic you know in the way that emdr is really based in the body mm-hmm. was uh, going to probably really help me
0: yeah so so like a uh, a sensory education yeah you know in addition to the yep. uh, you know Intellectual, Yes, absolutely. Because,
1: I mean, for years, I was like, everything below my neck is just a write-off. You know, nothing, the only thing that's important is my head and my intellect. And um, so what I am doing now is learning how to live in my body.
0: It's um, pretty fantastic, isn't it? Yes. It's your friend, man. Totally. It is your early warning system. It gets you around
1: mm-hmm.
0: it does amazing shit it totally it heals does itself
1: yeah yes yeah and it's you know like got all of these crazy feelings to you know pop out at any particular time talk, and
0: talk about some of
1: them i mean i talked about grief you yeah. know i mean i just feel like a, a Like I got a pond, Mm -hmm. you know, in there. But what a relief to be able to start kind of draining that pond. And Mm -hmm. um, But even just like I always understood the concept of emotional intelligence, but I never felt that, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And to be able to feel what that feels like and, you know, be in therapy and just sit and something comes up and I – instead of saying well that doesn't make sense and batting it away just like saying okay this came up so let's deal with wow. this um, is I mean it, it, you know I, it's pretty basic mm-hmm. but it's n- not been basic for me you know I mean I really feel like I said a couple of weeks ago at the end of the session I, I've always been myself and I, and I, it was, you know, it was kind of like classic, like, this is who I am. And I've always been here. And that is profound.
0: Yeah. It's, the, it's usually a process of just shedding shit that was piled on us by ourselves or yeah. experiences. And it's just a matter of letting go it, that I hate is it's cheesy as this sounds but that beautiful innocent kid Mm -hmm. um, inside us when that kid it's made safe enough for that kid to come out and enjoy the world with that um, excitement and that eagerness despite intellectually knowing it can be a scary random place Mm. uh, in a way that makes it even more exciting because you're like this is a pretty good day yeah you know
1: yeah there's a um we've given a name to one of my kid manifestations Mm -hmm. we call her the pixie warrior Uh, because she's got a pixie cut and she's wearing her hot pink two-piece bathing suit and she's just like hot shit walking along she's two you know and she's just like striding along the beach and uh, it's great to be able to Own her And yeah. connect with her <laughs> So and,
0: so that was kind of you Before all this shit Hit the fan yes. As a kid Yeah Yeah yep. That's so cool That those feelings Are still in there That they, they haven't died Yeah
1: And I really didn't believe That they were there yeah. I, And you know I mean that's been A hallelujah That they are there That there is a me Before mm-hmm. The being trashed yeah. You know That I can connect to And
0: it's, it's that process that, for me, I came to believe in a, a power in the universe—not mm-hmm. necessarily an intellectual, a, uh, a conscious being, but some force in the universe to tap into that um, uh, allowed this, made this dynamic possible. Mm-hmm. Which I think so many of us have written off: "We're broken. It's it's too late." We fucked up. We're too damaged. Yeah. You know what's the point? And then it's like we have these little moments where we realize it's not. Then our we have more energy. It's less scary to connect to people, and then we have better experiences. And it's like this snowball that builds in the right way instead of, you know, in the good way instead of the the bad way. Yeah, it's almost like it exponentiates.
1: Yes. Yeah. It hits it, some kind of point where it just takes off
0: yeah I had a therapist tell me years ago that when we are authentically ourselves um, our our sex lives are better our professional lives are better our lives expand um, when we let go of the negative self-beliefs and codependency and addictions and all those other all those other things and I used to kind of roll my eyes and no it's it's not bullshit yeah it's not bullshit no Anything else you'd like to share before we wrap up?
1: Nothing that leaps to mind. Nothing that leaps into my foggy menopausal brain.
0: We we have covered (laughs) uh, a lot, and uh, I just want to thank you so much for coming and sharing uh, your story and your recovery. Uh, Your book is called uh, Every Moment of a Fall, a Memoir of Recovery through EMDR Therapy. Uh, Please thank uh, my guest, Carol E. Miller. Many, many thanks to uh, Carol. What a great guest. And uh, thanks to those of you that made the trudge and and came out to see that show in Oakland. Um, Before I forget, uh, this episode will soon be transcribed and available on our website. Many thanks to Accurate Secretarial for donating their time and uh, helping out the show. Uh, I want to give some love to Bombfell, a sponsor of ours. Uh, I like Bombfell because I'm the type of guy that wears the same five t-shirts and jeans over and over and over again. I guess you you would uh, categorize me as a timid shopper. And uh, for a lot of guys, shopping is considered a total pain. Well, Bombfell is an easier way for men to get better clothes. Bombfell is an online personal styling service that helps men find the right clothes for them. Unlike other services, there are no fees to work with them, so it costs nothing to sign up. It's simple and straightforward. All you do is complete a questionnaire and a dedicated personal stylist will hand-pick pieces specifically for you. Then, once you've viewed your selections, you'll have 48 hours to make any changes or even cancel altogether. You're in total control and you only pay for the clothes you keep. And Bombfell doesn't make money if you don't find something you want to keep. And I kept everything that they sent me. It fit uh, I'd given them my measurements, and it was exactly uh, as as described, and I liked it. It uh, it pushed me out of my boring little uh, t shirt and jeans routine. Uh, so, we have negotiated with Bombfell to get you guys a special offer of twenty five bucks off your first purchase when you go to bombfell dot com slash mental. That's bombfell b o m b f e l l dot com slash mental. Bomb fell, open and close. This is a survey, shame and secret survey. And this was filled out by a trans male uh, who calls himself, I'd rather be reading. And uh, he writes, uh, or l- let's see, uh, he's queer, he's in his 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment um ever been the victim of sexual abuse yes and i never reported it i was dating a girl in college and i was the first person that she had dated that wasn't a cisgendered male in order to not disappoint her and regret dating me over some cis guy i let her do with me what she wanted whenever she wanted even if i had already told her no and she pouted about it um He has never been physically abused, but he has been emotionally abused. Uh, my father is a master at gaslighting. Any positive experiences with the abusers? He can't even look at me, so no. Darkest thoughts. I think about killing my dogs on occasion. I just want to be alone, completely alone sometimes. and even Even hearing them breathe sets me off. I have never, nor will I ever, do anything to hurt them, though. Darkest Secrets. I got very high while I was drunk in my senior year of college. I had a panic attack and subsequently tried to light myself on fire. Um, What are the sexual fantasies most powerful to you? Water sports. Peeing on someone or getting peed on. Even thinking about it for a second turns me on way too much. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? I would love to explain how much it hurts to hear my birth name come out of anyone's mouth, especially my mother's, but anytime I try to tell her how much it ruins everything, she doesn't want to hear it. That really fucking sucks, you know? That really fucking sucks. Uh, what if anything do you wish for? I want to stop feeling invisible. You know what you should do? You should call your mother a different name. And then whenever she says anything, say, that is how it feels when you call me, my birth name. Uh, So if she won't call you the name you want to be called by, don't call her the name she wants to be called by. Just a thought. Again, I'm not a therapist, but I am a hypochondriac. Uh, if you shared these things with others, no, because no one has ever cared about anything I had to say before. So why should they start now? No one listened to me because I was born female. Now, no one listens to me because they still see me as that, or they see me as a gender freak, or they just don't want to see me at all. How do you feel after writing these things down? Angry. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Maybe the, it gets better bullshit isn't bullshit. But man, sometimes it really feels like it is. I will never know what it is like to be anything other than a straight, cisgendered, uh, white male. So I'm not going to pretend. But what I can say is those of us hearing your survey, we do see you. And you are not invisible. And I encourage you to find a support network of people who do see you because you deserve to be seen and heard and felt and loved and cared for. And I'm sending you some some love, whether you want it or not. This is a happy moment filled out by uh, a guy who calls himself Tall Culinarian. And um, he writes, When I was deployed in Iraq 10 years ago, I struggled terribly with insomnia because of the things I saw and heard each day. Luckily, I was able to email and often call my girlfriend back in Maryland. We remained in contact just about daily. She was my link to, quote, normalcy and the, quote, real world. I don't think I said I love you to anyone more or heard it said back to me more often than that year I was away. I didn't grow up in a home where we said it at all. Never. Somehow, despite the distance and the conditions, it felt amazing to be so vulnerable. So weak and broken, but so supported. She kept me alive that year. We were married three weeks after I returned from Baghdad, ten years ago today. Wow. I would love to interview you. If you ever have any interest in that, and you ever hear this um, this episode, please uh, contact me through the website, because I would like to hear more of your story, and thank you for, for filling that out. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by uh, Dora the Explorer, and she is... Uh, bisexual in her 30s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Yes, and I reported it. I lost my virginity when I was 16 to my first love. After becoming sexually active, flashes of a previous abuse started to appear. I guess my fragile child mind had blocked this molestation at the hands of my grandfather at the age of 5 or 6. A few years after that, boyfriend and I broke up. He too raped me. I reported the boyfriend, he served two years in prison, but to this day no one knows about my grandfather. She has been physically abused and emotionally abused. Uh, My entire life I was told by my father that my mother abandoned us, but within the last year I found out that my father actually kidnapped my brother and I. As a child I idolized my father, but as an adult I see now how abusive and neglectful he actually was. When I was about 12, he came bursting into the room in the middle of the night, pissed drunk, and jumped into bed with me. He began cuddling me, and I remember asking him very innocently if he wanted to sleep with me, not knowing what the, not knowing that this had a different connotation for adults. He nodded, and I very playfully said, well, you can't, it's against the law. I have no idea why I said exactly that, but in my head, I was simply being silly eventually got up without saying a word and walked out. Looking back on this, I'm so disgusted to think that maybe if I hadn't said this very random thing, he would have potentially molested me. A different incident that comes to mind at the moment is when I was uh, about seven, we went for a drive at night and my brother and I fell asleep. We awoke to see my father come out of a busy building and a line of people were against the wall. One of those people saw me and began shouting at my father, calling him a disgusting pig and a terrible father. A few years later, I realized it was a strip club and the people outside were patrons waiting to be let in. The man shouting at my father was right to call him out and I'm happy he did so. It's so disappointing to know my dad was inside a strip club while his two kids were sleeping in the car parked right outside. Wow, that is a that is a visual man uh any positive experiences with abusers yes i've had a lot of great memories with my dad he was a lot of fun and i loved him immensely but i haven't spoken with him in almost two years now because of all of these realizations i've made about how neglectful he was not to mention the kidnapping boy th- there's a phrase you don't hear often not to mention the kidnapping uh I miss him so much, and I wish none of those things happened, but I can't pretend they didn't. I learned a lot from my father, but the things that I have inherited are abandonment issues, cynicism, and depression. Darkest thoughts. I am ashamed to admit that even after being raped by him, I still sexually fan- i still sexually fantasize about my first love sometimes. We had the most incredible, intense sex, and like many people, I had rape fantasies. The rape was terrible, and I'm glad my body became numb at that moment because I would be even more fucked up if my body had felt good in any way. I loved his dick so much that simply remembering what it looks like takes me to the brink of almost orgasm, but then I remember that he violated me and I'm filled with shame instead. I hate him for ruining my sex life. Darkest Secrets. When I was about 14, my brother and I were playing with the neighborhood kids on the street. I realized he went missing and I went to look for him. I finally found him at the apartment one of my school friends lived at with her older male cousins. One of the guys was holding his arms behind him and the other guy was pulling his face forward and covering his mouth. My brother was crying and I thought they were messing with him and he was being a baby. I walked out of the apartment and back with the group of kids. My brother finally walked past us, bawling, and walked straight to our apartment. We had no idea that what I had just witnessed was him being raped by these two pieces of shit. This too is something I have just come to realize in the last two years. I feel so horrible about it because I could have done something at the time! Exclamation point! I could have helped! Exclamation point! He looked at me in the moment I walked in with such terror and hope in his eyes and instead of helping him, I walked away. I have so much guilt from this. I hope I can eventually bring myself to speak with my brother about it and finally apologize. You were a child. You didn't know what was happening, and 100% of the blame is on the people that did that to your brother. In an ideal world, yes, we would have all loved to have done the ideal thing if we could go back in time. But 99% of us, you know, 99% of us have, I'd say 100% of us, have moments in our life that pain us because we didn't make a decision that in hindsight we wish we had. So I think it's, it's time you stop being so hard on yourself. And it might be healing to talk to your brother about it. I don't know. Maybe run that by a therapist if you have a a, a therapist. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I would love to participate in an orgy with my boyfriend. He's amazing and I don't give him enough sex due to my PTSD. But I would love for him to be able to experience many women at once. That would be so exciting and fulfilling. You know, as I, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking as as long i think as you're being re- really making sure that you're being honest with yourself that that it is not traumatizing to you and that you're not throwing your needs uh by the wayside out of guilt that your boyfriend isn't getting enough sex because there's tons of ways that couples can be intimate that don't involve sex and um that's that's my two cents on that. Um thank you. Thank you for filling this uh this out. It was um it was a really moving survey. Thank you. Um this is a happy moment filled out by Clinny De Cutie. Clinie D Clinie D Cutie. I don't know what that reference is. But uh she writes on the night before my 23rd birthday. Um. Uh, I had stopped in at the bar that I worked at at midnight to have a beer with a friend. We went outside to have a cigarette and I started silently crying because I started thinking about how happy and stable I felt. Uh, my friend of course was worried and asked me what was wrong. I answered, I'm so happy and I don't know how to process it. Uh, we laughed and I talked to her about how last year the year before I met her I was in the deepest and darkest depression i had ever experienced. That year, I was finishing my last year at college and should have been enjoying myself. However, I was sleeping 14 to 16 hours a day and had alienated all my friends and family. I came to a breaking point where I drove home to remove myself from a tense living situation. I lived with people who were my, quote, friends. However, when I told them about my depression... They told me how much of a burden I was, and that they felt our relationship um and that they felt our relationship wasn't over um I'm not sure I understand that sentence. I'm gonna guess it was a typo, and it was supposed to be was over um on my drive home, my car broke down, and I did too. I called my parents and cried so hard I couldn't breathe. I luckily found help, and upon returning to school the next uh, few week, next week, um, new friends. These new friends, specifically two amazing girls, let me sleep on their couches and cry myself to sleep. I truly believe they helped to save my life. During the next year, I took an internship in the mountains of North Carolina and started working through my depression and issues related to body issues and abandonment. So back to that happy crying burst. That last year on my birthday, during my birthday party, I locked myself in my room to hide from my guests. I fell asleep by myself crying and thinking about suicide and how if I killed myself, everyone who I burdened would be better off. Having that thought about that exactly one year later, I became overwhelmed with how happy I was and how I overcame the most horrible year of my young life. Since that time, I've experienced spells of depression and anxiety, but I'm learning to deal with it. One of those ways has been surrounding myself with people who I can be open with. They keep me honest about my mental illness and give me the support I need when I'm going through an episode. Thank you for that. You know, I love how realistic that is, um, that there, that we do backslide sometimes, but having that support network is so, so crucial. And, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by Tashi eighty nine, and she writes, "When I was sixteen, I was giving my then boyfriend a blowjob. It was one of the first I'd ever gidden, given, totally legal in the U.K. By the way, uh, and with porn as my only education, I thought the aim was to get his dick as far down my throat as possible, moving and sucking as fast and hard as I could." when I unexpectedly vomited in my mouth onto his dick. He didn't notice, and I didn't want to ruin his experience, so I swallowed my own vomit and continued the job until he came. Awful, because I swallowed my own vomit, but awesome that I finished the job despite the circumstances. Thank you for that. Um... I was just thinking about that survey before where, uh, she, she said, uh, my car broke down and I did too. What if they had gas stations where, where they could service both of you? They put you, they put your car up on a lift and then on a lift right next to your car, you're on a couch. Just talking to one of the mechanics, just a sensitive mechanic. He's just wiping the grease off his hands with a towel. Okay. Tell me what happened. Yeah. Wow, that sounds really overwhelming. Yeah, put tires on the Buick. Do they even make Buicks anymore? I don't think so. Um, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by ungrateful piece of shit. So you know she had a terrific childhood. Filled with a self-esteem building, comfort, and safety. Uh, let's see. She is straight in her 20s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, Uh never been sexually abused, but she has been physically and emotionally abused. My mom was emotionally abusive, neglectful, and sometimes physically abusive. I just recently realized it was abuse, um, and I'm still struggling to remember. I grew up very poor, my mom made a horrible, selfish, and not at all necessary decision that made us live way below the poverty line for our country. I honestly think she did it because she was burnt out, depressed, and did not want to go through all the paperwork to get a paid sick leave or whatever it is called in English. But in my opinion, you do find the will to go through some paperwork if it means your three children won't grow up malnourished. Maybe I should have more compassion for her on that, but I just can't find it. By the way, if anybody tells you have compassion for your mother, tell them to go fuck themselves. Compassion is, in my opinion, a byproduct of healing, not a a something we intellectually seek. And, um... I f- work on what it is that you're feeling first. And if compassion and forgiveness come, great. If it doesn't, don't worry about it and don't shame yourself. It means it is nothing to... It is no comment on your morality or character. Um... <laughs> um any positive experiences I with the abuser? I don't really have any. Even the experience that should have been nice, like her coming to watch my competitions and shows, was filled with anxiety over her saying something to humiliate me in front of others. Um, uh, she, she uh, by the way, uh, was a figure skater, and her grandparents uh, paid for most of it. Um, darkest thoughts when i was a kid i used to wish that my mom would die so i could move into a foster home and have a family that would genuinely care for me bring proper food to the table, afford all the necessities, and keep a clean house. I hate myself so much, I truly believe the world would be a better place without me. I can't even intellectually understand that this isn't true anymore. I'm a burden to everyone. I don't pay taxes. My, quote, job has no value to society. I'm an awful friend because I never take initiative and cancel over and over. I'm a selfish, lazy, and useless piece of shit, drowning in my own self-pity. I should have never been born, and I wish my mom would have listened to all the people advising her to have an abortion. I'm so self-centered, thinking everything is about me. If anyone whispers, laughs, looks in my direction, etc., it's about me. People should stay the fuck away from me. I am one of those toxic people. that there's written 72 million articles on how to recognize and stay away from. I feel so sorry for myself wasting my life doing nothing of value. Um, and, and then she just goes on and on beating herself, uh, up. Um, darkest secrets i work as an escort and even though it's as a so-called quote high class escort there is nothing high class about it i'm still using every bit of willpower i have to avoid biting in frustration while giving a blowjob to a guy in a suit during his lunch break if this wasn't my only income i would quit today i used to abuse and self-medicate with prescription pills benzos and sleeping pills mostly I even went on ice for figure skating practice, in crowded sessions, high on pills because it would relieve my performance anxiety. Yes, I get that at practice. Competition means panic with breathing problems and visibly shaking legs. Shaking legs are great for jumping! I hate myself for doing that and putting the other skaters at risk of injury because of a high, selfish idiot's need to calm her nerves while racing around with a fucking knife on her feet. Um, I also used to steal money from friends and family when I was younger. I'm not too ashamed of that because I only did it because I was hungry. We never had enough good or healthy food. The last week of the month, we often just had dry bread with butter, plain rice and pasta, maybe some ketchup if we were lucky, and a few overly brown bananas and a moldy pineapple in the fruit bowl infested with flies. So I just did what I had to do to get food. Um, uh, although it makes me shameful to admit that because I should feel shame for stealing. See, I truly am an awful and selfish human being. Mom was right. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Honestly, it's to just have vanilla sex with someone who loves me, takes care of me, holds me, and just makes me feel safe. This is so sad. That is not sad. Uh, what if anything, would you like to, it's not sad to me, um. I think it's sweet. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would tell my mom that she can go fuck herself hard in the ass with a giant dildo dipped in sirotra sauce. That's a hard word to pronounce. And then I would tell her that I do love her and then I forgive her because I know she was abused by her mom, too. What, if anything, do you wish for to quit escorting? someone that loves me, takes care of me, makes me feel safe and valued, and can handle me on my worst days. Triple flip and triple lutz and an awesome level four layback. And then a parenthesis, figure skating stuff. Smiley face. Um, have you shared these things with others? No, except for a few things shared with my coach to make him understand why I handle stress so incredibly bad. He took it very well, and I'm thankful for that. A lot of coaches would would have just said that maybe competing isn't for me. As for telling others, I'm just not good at talking, which is why I haven't gotten a therapist until now and why the first session went horrible and she thought I suffered from a mild depression. Uh, Any suggestions for people who share your thoughts or experiences? Never become an escort. And don't wait 14 years to seek real help. Um, I know this is obvious, but you're so hard on yourself. And um, you, you can heal. You can heal. Um, and telling yourself that you're a piece of shit over and over again, um, while it may feel like the truth to you, and there's a point in it. Um, it's it's. Um, I mean, it's so obvious that it that it's not productive. But I get it. I get that feeling. I've been in that place where I just think I'm the biggest piece of shit in the world. And there's a danger when you're in that headspace to become self-obsessed with your piece of shitness and that is really to me the flip side of the grandiosity coin is you're either the king or you're the peasant and they are both forms of self-obsession and to me what ha- helps me is to become to, to get the feeling of being one of many and the place i find that is in support groups Groups I go to where we share a common struggle, be it an addiction or a trauma or something else. And that feeling of being one of many helps my brain, my wounded brain, remember I am neither the king nor a peasant and I am not alone. And I just want to tell you that you are not alone. But making headway on what you're feeling and thinking about yourself and how you view the world and other people is not going to change with you in isolation. Getting help and working through trauma and abandonment, which you've experienced in gigantic amounts, it is painful and scary, but I can tell you it is One one millionth as scary as doing nothing and living the rest of our lives lonely, hurting, afraid, and filled with self-hate. Asking for help is never as scary as we think it is. And if the first person you ask for help can't help you, ask the next person and it won't be long before you find somebody who can because there are a ton of people in the world that want to help. If I hadn't asked for help, I would not be here doing this show. I would have blown my brains out in my backyard in 1999. That was my plan. And I listened to somebody who said, I think you need help. I think you should see a psychiatrist. And then finally, this is a, a happy moment uh, filled out by Sonic Cat. And he writes, I was at the grocery store the other day, and as I approached the checkout lines, I noticed a young girl with one of those little kid shopping carts. She was there with her parents. The mother whispered something to the girl, and her eyes lit up and got excited. On the counter, they have pieces of fruit that children can get for free. The little girl picked out a red delicious apple and politely asked the checkout woman if she could have it she marched out of the store as if she'd been given the most valuable gift known to man. Being surrounded day after day by people's greed, negativity, and pettiness, I tend to forget that simple pleasures and happiness still exist in this world. We just need to slow things down long enough and look up from our screens long enough to notice it. Thank you for that. And... You're not alone. No matter what it is that you're feeling at this moment, there are a bazillion people feeling that same emotion that while the circumstances of their life may differ, you're not alone in what you're feeling. And finding people who can relate to what we feel makes life amazing. I love my life today. Yeah, I have struggles and problems and things that I would like to fix but I look at what I have that has meaning and purpose and it's the connection to other human beings it's trying to live a principled life which I don't always do I often fall very short and I'm so glad that I get to experience the feeling of being one of many and that it's no longer scary to pick up the phone and say hey can you help me uh with this I should I shouldn't say that. It's not as scary to pick up the phone and ask for help. There's still a part of me that resists, but I do it anyway. And I get to have this amazing life that has nothing to do with money or power or popularity. It's about feeling feeling love and acceptance and choosing who gets close to me and who I get close to. And um, it's an amazing feeling. And you are not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody up in I know is bizarrely width. beautifully, fucked up, some weird is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.
1: Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.